C'est un honneur pour nous d'accueillir ce sommet pour un nouveau pacte financier mondial. Alors, je veux d'abord souligner que ce sommet est le vôtre, c'est-à-dire celui de toutes celles et tous ceux qui sont en première ligne. We come to Paris today with a heavy heart, but with hope. il est un peu hors norme parce qu'en fait il est, il est horizontal. On a un sommet où tous les pays sont à égalité et en plus il y a la société civile. Et la société civile permet plus de transparence. civiles quien eh, finalmente recibe todas las decisiones políticas que tomen los gobiernos en general. Por tanto, es importante incluir a la ciudadanía que se han escuchado. considering a new finance pact, it must be a pact that supports an equitable fossil fuel phase-out in conjunction with an equitable renewable energy phase-in. À mon avis, le sommet était une réussite parce qu'il a permis deux choses. Il a permis d'abord de cristalliser un certain consensus. Et quand on voit d'où on partait en termes de fossés et de divergences nord-sud, c'est très important. Tout le monde n'est pas entièrement sur la même ligne, mais au moins, il y a une vision commune qui a été exprimée. Et puis, il a permis aussi d'avoir un certain nombre de délivrables, qui sont des décisions concrètes ou des quasi-décisions, parce qu'elles seront vraiment mises en œuvre par les prochains rendez-vous internationaux. Par exemple, euh, au G20 de New Delhi ou encore à Marrakech au moment des réunions de printemps du FMI et de la Banque mondiale, où là, on verra ces institutions évoluer. Nous, au Forum de Paris sur la paix, en novembre, on aura un autre moment de suivi du sommet sur certains points qui sont un peu orphelins, qui ne seront pas traités par le G20, qui ne seront pas traités par la COP28 qui suivra. Et on pourra transformer, disons, ce moment-là en décisions concrètes et continuer la conversation en quelque sorte de la méthode de Paris ou de la doctrine de Paris qui a été initiée pendant ce sommet. Welcome back. It's episode 44 of the Professor Penn podcast. This is David Penn welcoming you, wishing you well, hoping you're well. My blood's boiling. I've been playing this uh, clip of the New Bretton Woods, the New Currency Summit, uh, this week. Uh, very few views on YouTube, about three, 4,000 views. Nobody's paying attention. That's why I'm highlighting it. It's not getting any coverage in conservative media, 
It's not getting any coverage in liberal media. It's not being covered. Why? Because they don't want you to see what they're doing. This is a scam. This is the con of cons. And we're supposed to take it with a smile. Look how beautiful it was. The music's wonderful. Everybody's so happy, uplifting, unified. Oh, you know, these people, they're horrifying people. These people are dissemblers, liars, con artists, scam artists, and they're our leaders. They're the people that we elect to represent us, and of course, they have no interest in my, in my life, in my children's life, in your life, in your children's lives, in your parents' lives. These people are imposing a reality upon planet Earth that's based in a lie. And the reality that they're imposing is tyranny. And it looks so nice. Doesn't it look wonderful? And how are they doing it? The environment, the climate crisis, and redressing the ills and legacy of colonization, the oppression of people by, of color, the people of the South, by people of the North. It, you know, when you really start to, to draw back and look at it, and you disconnect from the brainwashing, this is a 50-year brainwash job. This is what's called the long con. You just look at it. It's just stunning in its ambition and ridiculous in its formation. And that's what we're doing here. The Professor Penn Podcast, we're part of Truth Media. Truth Media. You know, I want to say this. I'm going to say it every podcast. I am not saying to you, my audience, that I know what the truth is. We're seeking the truth together through prayer and research we're not buying this narrative because we know it's a con. But we got to know how it's a con, why it's a con. We have to know how to deconstruct this con so we can spread our research into the truth to all the people we know because we're marks. The way a con breaks down is when the mark wakes up and says, oh, I'm being conned. I'm not going along with this. And then the thing breaks down. The con artists run away or get arrested. We drag them before the truth commissions and they explain to us why they did this. And then we get on with life and we go back to building the prosperity and the freedom that is granted to us because we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and women are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want to thank Free People Radio for letting us broadcast these truths, this search for truth, and to create a community with you. Free People Radio is great. We've got uh, Please Call Me Crazy. We've got a new product coming out. We're going to be broadcasting throughout the day. We're a full-blown media company here, and we want to serve our community and create a community that's really interested in political action. We're not doing this to monetize. We're doing this for freedom. Target.com, T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. Why? It's an advertiser. 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock. Everything you need for your vehicles. And when you buy the tires at Target, you're funding 
this movement. You got to buy tires. Fund us. We need your help. And thank you for doing so. A lot of uh, future development starting in September that's going to make Target the best, not only funding the movement, but the very best place with the very best service where you can buy your tires. The best. Can't be, you know, if it's the best, it can't be better. Price is the best, service is the best, and you fund the movement, then why wouldn't you? Precinctstrategy.com where you go to get a tutorial on how to get in the game. And that's very important for those of you that want to get in the game. This climate uh, scam that's being run through this currency summit, if you go back and replay the podcast, and they talk about the Bretton Woods Agreement. Bretton Woods was the currency regime that was put in place at the end of World War II. You know, he who wins the war makes the rules. In the United States and the United Nations, and they called them the United Nations, came together in the United States at a place called Bretton Woods, countries from all over the world, and they agreed on a new currency relationship between the countries, making the dollar, the U.S. dollar, our currency, the reserve currency of the entire world. And look what's going on here. They say it's the first currency conf you know, conference in 75 years. But, you know, when you read their printout, their, their review of the event, they don't talk about currency. They talk a lot about climate and inequity. Climate and inequity. Why? This is the message, the political message that goes from the most superordinate international organizations, like the United Nations like the World Economic Forum, all the way down to your local Democrat representative in your local house. I don't care what state you're in. They are totally coordinated with this message from top to bottom. And that's not even a very good um, organization of how things work. It really should be bottom to top, because the bottom, your local neighborhood, you've been taught and I've been taught our entire lives to ignore that, just pay attention to these international deals. That's another scam. We have to undo every con because the con's between our ears. A con works when we believe it. We have to willingly, willingly participate in their con. So the first con is it's about internationalism. Bleep these people. I'm not swearing because we're going mainstream. But bleep them. The actions in your backyard between you and your neighbor. When we realize that as American citizens, that all governance is local, and we build our national governance at, from the building block, the building block of our local communities. When we get involved locally, it's over for these scam artists. And that's all they are, paid, preening, pisillaneous pricks that prance around on stage and act like they're important. They're in show business. They're not even the real power. They're representing the real power, which is the money that finances their activity. These people really suck. They really suck. They're sellouts of the highest order. They're the Pharisees. 
what they're selling what they're selling is their con is that the world's in a climate crisis and this climate crisis requires decarbonization decarbonization means the end of fossil fuels deindustrializing the world and of course you know there's all this social inequity the north has so much more resources than the south We've got to transfer those resources from the north to the south to redress the wrongs of the colonial period, to make everything equitable, the same. In other words, everybody's poor, and everybody needs to be poor because we're deindustrializing. What they're selling us is to save the earth. We all need to be poor. And we all need to be the same. And we all need to be subject to, subject to the rule of this new regime, this new Bretton Woods regime, which they're not pulling out their real intent here. Their real intent is when we have the next big crisis, whatever it is, and they've got a, these people are in charge, okay, of what happens globally. They could pop off a nuclear weapon. They could declare a climate crisis here in the United States. If you read carefully, the Biden administration is considering declaring a climate crisis, just like we had a pandemic crisis. Close the country down because it's hot. Hey, it's summertime. You know, those of us that are a little bit older, like me, no, it's not any hotter this year than it was in any other year. They're just telling us it is because they control the legacy media and the legacy media is not interested in truth. The legacy media is interested in manipulating the population because they think we're dumb. And unless we wake up and do our own research and our own study, hey, we are dumb. That's why we're together. Every one of us, you, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to spread the truth or the search for the truth. That's what we're doing here together. I'm doing it, and I'm asking you to do it. And we're going to make it easy for you to do. That's part of the strategy that we're going to implement here at Free People Radio, how we're going to get you the content to spread it out through crowdsourcing so that you're an editor, so that you're playing in this game, so we're distributing this information for a political result. And the result we want is we want, to, we want the American people, the American citizens, to recognize this is a total con. We're being conned, and at the next crisis, the money's going to be no good. There's going to be a huge financial crisis. All your savings is going to be confiscated. It's called a bail-in. You have money in a bank, they're going to take it from you to fill the giant hole that they've purpose purposefully created to end our prosperity and get us under their control. And what is this? conference all about this new Bretton Woods it's about introducing a worldwide a worldwide regime of central bank digitized currency ending the dollars in your pocket making everything digitized on your smartphone and hey if you don't do what they say if you don't get the right social credit score oh we're so sorry we have to turn your money off and you'll starve to death unless you comply. That's who these people are, those smiling faces. Bleep these people. 
These people are criminals, in my opinion. But I don't want to kill them. I want them to come before truth commissions after enough American citizens wake up, take that red pill, and realize we're not in a climate crisis. We're in a climate con. We're not in a social equity crisis. We're in a social equity con. And this is about taking everything you've ever made, everything you've got, and everything you're ever going to have and giving it to someone else so that you're poor like they are. Isn't that great? Now, of course, if you don't have anything, which is 85% of the people in the United States of America, you're not really losing anything. In fact, you're going to get something for free. It's called universal basic income. You're not going to have to work. Isn't that great? Because we're going to have robotics and artificial intelligence, and really humanity is going to be relatively unnecessary. Unnecessary. Let me ask you, when you have something in your house that's no longer necessary, what do you do with it? You're unnecessary. What do you think these sons of bleeps are going to do with you when they don't need you anymore to run their slavery, drugs, and piracy scam? What do you think they're going to do with us? What do you think they have in mind? And I can't tell you. Because if I tell you, you're going to think Professor Penn is off his rocker. Most of us are not ready to have somebody tell them like this what these elites have in mind for the population of the earth. But if you go to the World Health Organization's website and you read their white papers on population, if you go read what these foundations that run the world, these huge charitable, charitable trusts. Doesn't that sound nice? A charitable trust? Doesn't that sound wonderful? If you read what these people have in mind for us, and you read it yourself, well, you're going to want to spread the word like Paul Revere. And what are they really after? What do they really want? What's really at the base of this? The base. Because they don't want people doing what I'm about to do. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. And thank you, God, for forgiving me when I fall short.
thank you. I will forgive others and I will pray that you forgive me because I fall so terribly and horribly short of where I want to be so that I'm a good representative to help. I just want to help maintain faith and family and freedom in a country that has provided me with so much opportunity to be myself. I know they want to take this away. I'm a small business person. I know they're taking it away. We're right on the front edge of a calamity, yet they tell us everything's getting better. Go look in the newspaper. Yellow Freight, a 100-year-old logistics company, the largest trucking firm in the United States with 22,000 union truck drivers, is bankrupt. It's going out of business. That's a bombshell for two reasons. 30,000 people at one shot are going to lose their jobs which is horrifying. Those are human beings with families who have given their lives to a company that's failed. That is a human tragedy, and it's a well-being tragedy. But it also signals the fact that there's no freight. Nobody's buying anything because inflation is raging throughout the world because of the unrestricted money printing and borrowing that are country is engaged and that's why I went after Tom Emmer in his BS story that you know the debt ceiling bill was the largest reduction in American history it's such a lie they're just lying 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 wholesale so as they expand that money supply there's going to be inflation they say the inflation rate's coming down from 8% to 4 but that 8%s now baked in if we were at 1 100, and then it went to 108. At that 108 level, now it's down to 104, but it's working off of that 108 level, not that 100 level. In other words, the inflation is now baked in the cake. It's sticky. It costs 20% more to repair your car this year than it did last year. Tanner, do you, you own a car, right? Yeah. I just, it's funny you bring it up because yesterday I just got uh, new brakes and rotors for my car. Yeah, how'd you like that one? The rotors blew me away. The brakes weren't bad, I will admit. I was like, oh, that's that's nice. But the rotors itself for two front rotors is 160. And I was just like, that's insane. I don't remember spending this much. I don't remember breaking 100 to get rotors. You know, you will think that Tanner and I pre-planned this. He's going to tell you we never talked about it. We never no, talked about it. No, no, we don't. We have a script and everything, but it's not anything we did, that we're saying. Like yeah, we didn't talk about this. I just have a uncanny sense of asking the right questions because I like to be open. I don't take responsibility for everything I do. Some of it I'm just trying to keep up with what God asked me to do. Remember, I'm praying every day. Thank you, God, for directing my path, and I mean it. Thank you, God, for providing for all my needs. And I mean it. And I want to mean it more and more. That's why I pray with you. And I want to thank you. One day this is going to be put one day soon. This is going to be posted on a website called Free People of America. You can download these prayers and you can read them. And guess what? These prayers are thousands of years old. Thousands of years old. Millions and millions and millions of people have read these prayers. It's like the Grand Canyon. We're not making all this up. 
Some of it we're just discovering and sharing it with the people so the people have the supernatural power that we need to get ourselves out of this spot. We need supernatural power. And I believe we're going to get it. You know, I was in the live chat last night. I've been doing a lot of Royce White's Please Call Me Crazy because he's out playing basketball. He was going to be back this week. He got hurt. He got injured, so he's getting treatment. And I was in the live chat, and someone asked me, one of my favorite uh, participants, the lone wolf, are we really going to get this fixed? Are people going to wake up? And all I could say to him is, I've got faith that they will. But let me just take it a step farther for all of you that are wondering what to do because it seems so hopeless. And I'm going to make a personal revelation. You know, the outcome is not in my hands. The big picture outcome is not in my hands. If it gets in my hands, we're both going to know it. You never know what God's going to do. Maybe I'll be part of the outcome. I don't know. I'm trying to prepare myself for it. As a matter of fact, I've been preparing myself to be involved in this since I was 18 years old. I knew something was coming down the drain, the drain pipe. But by me choosing the path that I've chosen, when I follow the will of the supernatural realm, and I don't chase after money, and I don't chase after triv trivial things, and I'm giving myself over to this, no matter what happens in my life, and this is risky and it is dangerous. I've been attacked twice now, physically, and I'm just getting rolling. Uh, you know, I'm working out my own salvation. I've got a, a person that I know that's uh, quite old, and uh, this guy uh, portrayed himself to be a very righteous and religious person, but actually he was a skunk that stole a lot of money. And I'm watching him, and he really is going to die soon. And I'm waiting him for him to make amends to work out his own personal salvation. And I hope that he does that. All he has to do is admit he was no good because God forgives. He didn't take the faith of a child. He didn't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. He just robbed and stole. That's a forgivable situation if you would just but turn and say, I'm sorry. And how do you do that? We admit our sins one to another. And it doesn't matter if people forgive us. We're dependent on God to forgive us. We're working out our own salvation. You know, you can tell I got gray hair. I'm not a spring chicken. I got a catalog of crimes that I've perpetrated in my lifetime. And I don't mean crimes. I just mean mistakes that I've made in my interpersonal relations, uh, things I've said I've regretted. You know, I've paid all my bills in my life. I've never stole money. But, you know, I have things that I regret. I mean, not regret. That's not the right word. There are things that I would have done differently had I had the maturity I have today when I was like 18 years old. And of course, you don't have that maturity. So you do things like an 18-year-old or like a 30-year-old or like a 40-year-old. I look back on that and I, I want God to forgive me for it and I'm working out my own salvation, giving myself over to this work of restoring the United States of America, which is a wonderful country that's based on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's just a beautiful thing for me to do. And I'm trying to say this 
not to be self-revelatory. I'm, I'm working on my own salvation. But, you know, if you think about it and you get into it, you'll be working out your own salvation too. In other words, at the moment the curtain comes down, instead of saying, ah, I wish I'd done this and that, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to have regrets because I've given myself over from narcissism to altruism. And that's what we need to do. Narcissism being Darwinism, being the survival of the fittest, to altruism, which is Kropotkin, which is working with other people with love and connection to survive. Two ways to do this. We're a community. That's what we're really working on here. Well, that's a long preamble. <laughs> I probably screwed myself up today, but that's okay. I'm very relaxed. I know I'm coming to another... Uh, level of my ability to work with you because we're getting our game together here. We are getting our game together. I want to say in closing as I, as I page through these notes, this currency conference, you got to work on this currency thing. Carry cash. Get rid of all your credit cards except for one emergency card. Cut those cards up. Get rid of your auto pays. Stop pointing and clicking to pay your bills. Gum these people up. Refuse to participate in the convenience of digital money. They're going to use the following factors to usher you into the digital prison. Number one, convenience. Number two, climate calamity. And number three, we need digital currency to redress the social ills that plague our underprivileged communities. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's just meant for you to accept taking away all your money and all the hope you'll ever have to have any money. Don't let them do it to us. Stop using your credit cards. Get a checkbook and write checks. You know, I got people in my own life, they go, hey, why are you writing checks? Are you out of your mind? What are you, a cretin? I say, hey, I like writing checks. I've been doing it my whole life. Now I realize it takes extra time. But if my freedom is dependent on me writing checks and carrying cash, hey, I'm going to do it and I'm asking you to do it. It's an action strategy that works. Gum these people up. And guess what else happens? They got to hire people to process that paper. They got to hire people. We don't want people on basic income getting a stipend from the government at survival level. We want people to have good, high paying jobs. We're going to have to invest in that. We're going to have to form a patriot economy. Remember, truth media and the patriot economy, like Tireget.com, equals freedom. We got to work on it every day. All right, let's get into some really interesting um, developments. I call this the kettle and the coffee pot. Tanner, can you play this piece from Yoval Noah Harari on populism, populism and dictatorship? This is really interesting. It's, it's, you know, it's the oldest trick in the book. It's divide and rule. The way to power for a dictator is to divide society to create distrust between citizens. Because in order to function, 
A democracy needs trust between the citizens. I must trust that the other party, my political rivals, I don't agree with them. Maybe I even think they are stupid, but I don't think they are evil. I don't think that they want to harm me. That's the basis for a democracy. Then, even if I lose the election, I'm willing to accept the, the verdict of the majority of citizens. But if I think that the other party, they are not my rivals, they are my enemies, they want to destroy my way of life, they want to enslave me, then I will do anything, legal or illegal, to win the elections. And if I lose, I will not accept the verdict. So in this situation, you can have a civil war or you can have a dictator. A dictator doesn't need trust between citizens. Actually, it's better for a dictator if people fear and hate each other. Then they can't unite in order to force the dictator out. Dictatorship in this sense is like a weed. It can grow anywhere. But democracy is like a delicate flower. It needs preconditions to succeed. And one key precondition is trust between the different segments of society. And what populists do all over the world is the same trick. They locate pre-existing wounds in, in the community, places where people disagree. And instead of trying to heal the wounds, they stick their finger into it and try to enlarge it and inflame it as much as possible to destroy the trust between the citizens. And then they offer themselves as the leader for one tribe. It's no longer a community. It's now warring tribes. And they place themselves at the head of one tribe, promising to defeat the other. Whoa. Yoval Noah Harari. PhD, futurist, key philosopher of the New World Order. Oh, he's very unhappy. You know, he's an Israeli. He's a Jew. Yeah, he's an anti-Jew. And why do I say he's an anti-Jew? As a Jewish man, raised in that tradition, I just have to share the, the key, the fundamental cornerstone of being involved in that community is, oh, I believe in God. And I do believe in God, so I feel it's okay for me to call myself a Jew or a Christian because I believe in God. And one day I'm going to tell you how deep it is I believe in God because I've made this statement. I'm thoroughly versed in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And quite a bit of time in the Chinese natural way also. Spent my whole life studying these things. So while Yuval Noah Harari was out there studying post-enlightenment philosophy, existentialism, and postmodernism, I spend my time studying the Bible and movement, how to move as an athlete and as a warrior, as a warrior. And when you get in those warrior situations and you feel the power move through you and you realize it's really not you, you got to have a hell of an ego to think that's you. And you survive because of forces that you don't understand. You say, wow, what was that? Or for example, when I'm playing a violin concerto and I have this moment of clarity where I'm not really playing the violin, something else is playing it for me. Or when God directs my path and I find myself 
experiencing miracle after miracle. Otherwise, I wouldn't survive. That's what I've been studying. Now, Harari's going to think I'm a primitive, an idiot. And what he's saying is what the populists do. That'd be me, a populist. Populism is a movement of the people. This mother bleeper is so condescending. His condescension is mind-boggling because what he's saying is, I'm right and you're wrong. Now, this guy's educated. When educated people say my culture is the truth and yours is a myth and then blame you as the problem, oh, you see, this is, I, I would like to get in the ring with, ring with Harari because I would learn from it. He'd probably whip my ass. This guy is really smart, and I could learn a lot with, a, with an engagement with him. I got to get some some really good competition because here in the local area where I'm playing, these people fold up like tomato cans. They don't have any skills. They run away and hide. But this guy would not run away. He's so eloquent. But when I listen to him, what he's saying is my culture of postmodernism, of science, of scientism, transhumanism, that's the truth. And you populists that believe in God, your culture is a myth. And all you want to do is get in there and enlarge that wound and create warring tribes. No, these people started it. This transhumanism thing goes back to the 1880s. This movement, we've been talking about it a lot. If you go back and listen to all the podcasts, which I know is a big ask, in the first 44 podcasts, I've laid out the intellectual tradition of how this intellectual movement, going back to the British crown and Darwin and Spencer and Galton and coming forward into Bertrand Russell and then into Harari and all their familiars and the billions and billions and trillions of dollars that our governments have poured into scientific research and Herman Kahn and his ilk laying out a security state before the technology was even available. They, these futurists laid out how to control the people and overthrow people of faith and freedom and control us. They laid it out decades before the technology existed. But the technology, of, you know, it's here today. It's here today. We're living it out. The clone army is getting ready to show up on your neighborhood corner. Won't be a cop. Won't be a human being that'll hate you. There'll be no hatred. It'll be a robot. And good luck to you when you break the rules. You know, they had that, uh, do you remember that movie RoboCop? Did you ever see that movie? I never, I was too young to actually understand what was happening, but I know of the movie. Yeah. Hey, you know, I had one of the people in the live chat last night ask me to ask you, did you watch The Godfather? <laughs> <laughs> See, they're even asking me in the live I chat now. Not. No, no. Okay. They, I mean, really. I mean, seriously. They, the, the, the participants in the community are expecting you, and they want your report back on The Godfather. Okay, so this I have a longer car ride this Thursday. I'll try yeah. to watch it. I'll come back next week, and I'll have a synopsis. Of That's great. You're going to love it. And then we're going to Tombstone. Anyhow, why is Harari doing this? Harari is living in Israel, where they've been having quite a battle there between what's called, I called it, let me just use the term that they use locally. 
There's Ashkenazi Jews. These are the Jews that came out of Europe. They look like me. They're pretty white-skinned. Although I have to tell you, if I get in the sun, I turn dark, really dark. Parts of me are really dark all the time. I'm dark. I have that in my genetic history. So when I was young, I remember when I went to college the first year, you know, I spent a lot of time in the sun. I was a kid. And they came up to me and asked me if I'd like to join the Puerto Rican Student League. I thought, boy, that's flattering. I don't speak Spanish. They said, no problem. Please join us. So I get very dark, okay? So I'm not really all the way Ashkenazi. I got a lot of that, uh, what they call Sephardic blood in me, Sephardic. The Sephardic Jews, these are the Middle Eastern Jews. When Israel was formed, it was formed by Zionists, Zionists that were in Europe and were looking for a way to get out of Europe because they were being heavily discriminated against there by every country they were in. So they were appealing to the British crown to take Palestine. They even looked at countries in Africa. They were looking to colonize a country. They were. They just were. And there's all kinds of stories on the Jewish side. They bought up the land. But you know what? The fact is, after the Holocaust, there was sympathy for the Jews because half of them got killed. And they let them run into Palestine. And by hook and by crook, and that's what it was, they got their own country. And that's the facts on the ground. And they had a miraculous war. They survived in 48. Another miraculous war in 67. I was alive for that one. Oh, were we proud. Because, you know, the Jews had been killed, and they had really, I'm not saying they were passive, but they were rounded up and gassed. So the people that were born right after the Holocaust, like me, we resolved, if there was ever another opportunity to fight, we would be proficient in the art of war. And many of us became proficient in the art of war. And Israel, as a country, is very proficient in the art of war. So Israel, after it had uh, conquered the Arab armies around it and became a viable ongoing country, it had what was called the law of return. Any Jew from anywhere in the world could come live in Israel. And people poured in there, for example, from the Soviet Union. There was a huge effort to get the Jewish people out of Russia because there was a lot of discrimination there. And Jews from all over the Arab world, from Iraq, Iran, Algeria, Morocco, they poured into Israel. And they didn't have to be in the sun to get dark. They were dark 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And guess what happened? The Ashkenazi Jews, the lighter-skinned Jews, actually discriminated against these darker-skinned Jews for two reasons. One, one, they started the country and they had control of the levers of power of the country. They were better educated in science, and they did not believe in God. They were secular humanists like Herarius. These people that came, and of course the Russian Jews, but there was no religion there. But these, these Sephardic Jews, Sephardic Jews from all over North Africa and the Middle East, these people, these were part of the 12 tribes. These people were in the diaspora, and they traced their lineage right back to the land of Israel. When they came back, they came back to come home. And they came back fully believing in God, with full faith, uneducated, believing in God, and they were subordinated to second-class citizenship. And guess what they did? 
They set up yours, Ashkenazis. They organized, and they built their communities. That would be called the precinct strategy. And one of the fundamental building blocks of their strategy was, hey, these Ashkenazi women, they're having abortions. They don't want to have more than one or two kids because they're liberated. Our women, hey, they're going to have 15 kids. And if you go to New York and you see these black hat Hasidic Jews there, those families have 10, 15 children. They understand demographics. And as recently as yesterday, we were being told that very shortly the Palestinian population was going to outpopulate the Ashkenazi population in Israel, and Israel was going to cease to be a Jewish state. It was going to be a multicultural state because of the Palestinian demographic. Well, that turned out to be a BS story because the Sephardic Jews outbred everybody, Palestinians and Ashkenazi Jews. And guess what they've done? They've seized political power in an alliance with what's called the Likud, that's uh, Netanyahu's party, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been prime minister off and on for the last 20 years. And he's trying to maintain power, and he sees a future of Israel where there's going to be a more religious future because of the demographics of the country. And Harari's screaming that this is dictatorship. It's going to be the end of Israel. Well, you know, if the politics is working for Harari, he thinks it's great because his culture is the truth and everybody else is living a myth. He thinks that faith in God and these people's perspective is a myth, and they're demonizing these people. And if you're watching the news, you're watching them demonize these people as messianic, apocalyptic, racist, uh, just dangerous people. And uh, there's tremendous protests against these new laws. And, of course, the Palestinians are going crazy because these people are overtly Jewish nationalists. They're nationalists. Now, I want to comment on this for a second, and I don't want to go by it. You know, the Ashkenazi Jews that started the country, they were very anti-Palestinian and quite uh, racist in how they dealt with the Palestinians. I'm just going to say this. People are going to get mad at me. And there's a lot of ways to think about this, a lot of ways. Let me tell you one way to think about it, because I've been there. I have been in a situation with Palestinian people as the lone Jew in the room and had a fight for my life. Think about what I'm telling you. Just because of how I look, they didn't care about who I was, what my history was. They didn't care about the fact that I'm pretty pro finding a solution that works for everybody. They didn't care. They just wanted to kill me. Kill me. That's not the only time that's happened because I've been in the Middle East many times. You know, there's a lot of ways to think about this. I understand that. But the discrimination against the Palestinians is irrefutable. Irrefutable. And this is a problem that Israel is going to have to do with. Now, what Harari and his ilk are saying is that these apocalyptic, messianic, Sephardic Jews, these nationalist Jews are going to be worse. It's going to get worse. It's got to be worse. Just like what they're saying here in the United States. These Trump people, these MAGA people are terrible, horrifying. They're white supremacists. They're racists. Really? I'm not a racist. In fact, you've heard me say many times in the Professor Penn podcast, 
If you're an anti-Semite, a racist, a homophobe, or a xenophobe, get out of the Republican Party. Go down the block to the American Nazi Party. You know, I feel like naming some of these people's names. Like, Mrs. We Don't Need to Protect Children. That's the next one I'm going to work on. Because, you know, these people... I want you to remember this one. My culture is the truth and yours is a myth. Anytime somebody starts telling you that what you believe is false, that what they believe is better, they're racists no matter how they gussy it up, no matter how they disguise it. What they're trying to do is say, we deserve to be in power because we're right and you're wrong. What a scam. You know who deserves to be in power? The people that organize their neighborhoods. The people that talk to their children and their parents and their cousins and their next-door neighbors that go to meetings, that have an ideology, that spread their belief because they believe that what they believe is right. They convince other people. They form politics. They form a political movement. They have a political economy, and they prevail through a Republican process. And I'm saying Republican because we don't live in a democracy. The United States of America is a republic. Every time they talk about democracy, what they're talking about is mob rule. Our founding fathers knew that if you gave people the chance to vote for money, they'd vote for it. Hey, we're $33 trillion in debt. Great, isn't it? That's just great. That's the end of freedom. But beyond that, they also knew that if we had a straight vote democratically, majority rules, the mob would rule. So we have safeguards in our society, the Electoral College being one, just one of many, that allows for a more Republican kind of government. It's beautiful. It allows people in the country to have a voice so that the cities, which the Democrat Party have, have created specifically to congregate people and get them on the payroll so that they have to vote a certain way, take it to digital currency. Psh, boy, that goes up a notch. Oh, Mr. City Dweller, we see you didn't vote Democrat. Great. We're turning your money off. Maybe you'll get the message. I mean, that's where we're headed here, but you got to read it for yourself. This is a real problem uh, that's going on, you know, with this, um, this Middle East thing, this Israel thing. This is the center of the problem. Right now, it's kind of sidetracked. You know, Tanner, can you find that one piece on the Janine uh, raid? And let's play that. We can play about three minutes of it, and then we'll finish this segment. Can you play that for me? The raid began in the early hours of Monday morning. Israeli forces entered Janine refugee camp, and a fierce firefight broke out. The Israeli army described it as a massive exchange of fire. During the raid, Palestinian civilians were killed, including a 15-year-old. His father remembered him as a polite teenager. Anytime I asked him for something, he always said yes. He was decent, polite, respectful. But his problem was that the moment the Israeli army raided, he ran towards them. He wanted to die after his friend Omar was killed. The death of his friend was very painful for him. In a rare move, Palestinian fighters planted an improvised explosive device at the entrance to the camp. And this was a moment when the armoured Israeli vehicle drove over it. Oh! 
Israeli helicopter gunships then fired missiles into the camp in a bid to extract the soldiers in the vehicle. One Israeli soldier was injured. It's the first time Israel has used helicopter gunships for an attack inside the occupied West Bank in more than 20 years. Israeli forces also fired at the local hospital where the injured were to arrive and waiting journalists were gathered. The Palestinian ambulance service says its ambulances were also blocked from entering the camp. The Palestine Liberation Organization is convening a meeting with the Palestinian president and all of the factions to formulate a response to this latest attack. It's also calling for the international community to step in and try and bring a halt to these now near nightly raids. Imran Khan, Al Jazeera, West Jerusalem. Al Jazeera's Nida Ibrahim is in the occupied West Bank. Nida, what more can you tell us about what's happening now? What we're hearing is that the Israeli forces are withdrawing or have withdrawn. Yes, we can confirm that Israeli forces have completely withdrawn from the Janine refugee camp. And we can hear the sounds of Palestinians uh, marching at the outskirts of the refugee camp. Mainly, uh, we have five Palestinians who were killed in this raid, so we are expecting the funeral Can you stop it just for a second? I just, can you put the image back up on there? I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I just want you to look at this. I just want to make a comment. She's calling this a refugee camp. Now, I remember the refugee camps of the 1970s. They were tents, people living in squalor. She's referring to this urban scene with cars and beautiful buildings and nice trees, pretty nice scene, as a refugee camp. This would be called propaganda. Let's finish this little piece. To take place now after the Israeli forces have left the refugee camp after a 10-hour raid in which we've seen a lot of injuries. We're talking about 91 Palestinians, more than 20 of them in critical conditions, including a minor. So it is a tense situation here. There's a lot of anger and frustration amongst Palestinians. They say that Israel comes in, attacks Palestinians, and gets away with it. I don't know if you can hear the sounds now. We can, Nida, we absolutely can, and we can see very distinctly what your cameraman is showing us of people uh, walking down the street, although I can't make out um, where the crowd is going. Nida, how did this begin? So usually these crowds take the bodies of those Palestinians who were killed for their parents for a final farewell before they're laid to rest. This all started when the Israeli forces have raided the Jenin refugee camp uh, in the early hours of the morning. Now, according to the Israeli army, the aim was to arrest two Palestinians. They believe they were suspected of carrying out attacks. Now, what happened that is Palestinians used detonation or explosive det devices that have detonated, that have uh, affected and injured soldiers as well as damaging armored vehicles. This is something that was alarming to the Israelis. It took them an hour to take the uh, soldiers and evacuate them to the hospital. It took them one hour to do so and hours to take the vehicles out. So it was definitely an unusual scene here. Something that's pretty notable for all of us who, you know, look at this regularly, especially for you who covers these raids in the West Bank very regularly, is the weapons that were used on both sides, frankly, an explosive device that was set by Palestinian militants, as I understand it, and then helicopters on the Israeli side firing rockets into a refugee camp. Was, was all that and the level of firepower surprising to you, Nida? 
Well, the fact that they've used uh, the explosions and the bombs from helicopters, this is something we haven't seen in nearly 20 years. Here in Jenin, it was a scene of a battle in 2002 during what's known here as the Second Palestinian Intifada, where Israel used choppers to drop bombs on Palestinians. So that was definitely an unusual scene. Now, as uh, to explosive devices, Palestinians use that often here in Jenin, uh, basically to kind of prevent the Israeli forces from entering the camp. But it was you interesting. Stop it now. You know, a camp, okay, that's a city. It's a city that gets hundreds of millions of dollars every year from international aid, including your tax dollars. Uh, I am not anti-Palestinian. In fact, I've, I've made the comment I spent probably 10 years of my life 10 years of my life immersed in the Palestinian community here in the Twin Cities trying to understand this problem. And that was a long time ago. That was in the 1970s. It's really gotten a lot worse since then. I mean, I got into it right after the 67 war, right after the 73 war, and I wanted to understand what could be done as a young person because young people, you know, don't accept the status quo. But I have to tell you, these people are all in on this. The Israelis are in on it. The Palestinians are in on it. They're not living in camps. That's a beautiful city. They call it a camp. I mean, you know, now are the people poor? Yeah. They're just poor like we're poor here in the United States, where 85% of the people are living paycheck to paycheck, or they're on some kind of government assistance. These, these people are living tough lives. I'm not trying to say it's not tough there. It's tough. In, Fred, in fact, my friend Jihad, who I've talked about before, told me what it was like growing up here. It was not easy. But there's no effort, really, on either side to find a rapprochement. And the hatred is built up on both sides because they're both sides in business here. This is the business of war. This is slavery, drugs, and piracy writ large. This is the center stage of the world, and these Palestinian people are being killed by the Israeli, Israelis, let's say it, Palestinian style. So I'm going to say that there is no doubt in my mind that there is a system of apartheid there, there is a system of repression there, there is a system of discrimination there that is deeply entrenched, deeply entrenched, and wrong. It's wrong. And the only way we're going to find a solution as a world community for this kind of hatred is when we, the people, and I mean all the people, the people in Israel and the people in the Palestinian territories, agree that enough is enough. Because these people like killing each other. I'm just going to tell you, they like it. They love this. They live for it. It's been their modus operandi for a very, very long time. You know, one of the five victims was a child. I mean, we've been looking at these scenes forever. And now that we have a very nationalist, religious government in Israel, the word on the street is these people are going to be horrifying. They're going to, they call them uh, Judeo-Nazis, actually. Judeo-Nazis. And very well they might be. But I want to ask you, 
Could we not please prejudge what the outcome's going to be? Because the power has shifted in Israel. The baton has been passed to the Sephardic Jews that believe in God. It's been taken away from the Ashkenazi humanist, secular humanist Jews that believe in transhumanism. I don't know how this is going to turn out. These religious Jews have some religious injunctions like, thou shalt not kill. Let's find out how they function. Let's not let the press say, our culture is the truth and yours is a myth, because their cultural truth has led to an unending war since 1948. There's a real change there. The government of Israel has now removed the last vestige of Ashkenazi European power, which was the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court no longer reigns supreme. It's been defanged. It's the last institution of secularism, of anti-God in the country of Israel. Now the country's being run by people that profess faith in the one true God. They're listening to God. Let us help them listen. Let us help them listen. Let us not prejudge what's going to happen next because we don't know. We're being told what's going to happen by the likes of Yuval Noah Harari, who's participated in a worldwide philosophical movement that's going to make your job go away and make you irrelevant. And if you go online and you listen to his stuff and it's everywhere, he's going to say that the biggest problem the world faces is the billions of people who are now irrelevant. That would be me. I'm going to be irrelevant. Tanner, did you know that in Harari's world you're irrelevant? Yeah, I kind of picked up that notion. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I'm going to ask this question of you again. If you have an appliance, like a toaster, that still works, but you got a new toaster. It's, it's a, you know, it works. It's new. It's a new president. It looks shiny. Maybe it has a couple features the old toaster does. I mean, come on, we're just making toast, but let's say it, it looks nicer. And you put it on the counter, and now there's two toasters up there. What you going to do with the old toaster? Still works, but you don't need it anymore. What you going to do with your old toaster? I'm asking you, Tanner, what you going to do with it? Uh, yeah, it's going to be thrown out. Oh, isn't that great? That's who Harari is. He's with the we're going to throw out the people camp. So... I'm not going to be so quick to judge. And guess what? I have a political will. I can write the people in Israel that believe in God and say, hey, you believe in God. Find a solution to this that doesn't involve killing because it says thou shalt not kill. Let's see how it turns out. All right. Back to Minnesota. Back to Minnesota and the value of my citizenship. Can you please play this clip about driver's licenses for all, Tanner? Well, you pretty much need a driver's license to do anything these days, but people without legal status are not able to get one. A proposal known as driver's licenses for all aims to reverse that. And in just the last hour, the Minnesota House passing that legislation. Our Roe Schmidt is live from the Capitol with more on the proposal that activists have been working on now for almost two decades, Rose. Yeah, Randy, uh, and we want to tell you that this is a top priority of Democrats who control the state legislature. The bill still has to pass the Senate, but Governor Tim Walz has said he supports it. 
There being 69 ayes and 60 nays, the bill is passed and its title agreed to. With a vote of 69 to 60, the Minnesota House approved a bill Monday night allowing people without legal status to apply for driver's licenses. We understand that a driver's license is a, a basic necessity for so many people across our state. This has been Minnesota law since 2003 with a rule change in the aftermath of 9-11. Activists have been working nearly since then to reverse it, bringing, quote, driver's licenses for all. Immigrant families say currently they risk getting pulled over while driving without a license or have to go without a car, affecting their ability to get a job and support their families. We are filled with hope that we can once again drive, it, drive without fear. The bill has support from businesses and law enforcement, but Republicans say they're concerned about the potential for voter fraud. Our biggest concerns uh, from many of our members is the ability for people to vote or do same-day registration once they have a photo ID. These licenses would not be real ID compliant, but the bill's author says she would not support designating these licenses with a special marking to appease Republican concerns. The idea of marking a license in such a way that it reveals something about someone's immigration status to people who don't need to know that about them opens up the possibility of, of more people being targeted by this kind of, of hatred and division and oppression that we, have, that we see in our world. Oh, that's good. That's good. Up oh, there it is, hatred and oppression. We have to give up our republic, give up our citizenship to redress this uh, colonial nightmare that the world experienced. You heard it. You heard it here. Now, this bill passed the Senate, was signed into law by Governor Waltz, and guess what? It's going into an effect right now. On October 1st, Minnesota has driver's licenses for all, and of course, they have no special marking. Now, I'm going to say this for all my friends in the Minnesota political world who are completely focused on election integrity issues, and I think what you're doing is great because we know that there was uh, lots of illegal votes. We're not supposed to say it. We're just not supposed to say it. So let's not say it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just say what the rules are now. The rules are, and I want you to get this, get this from me all over the country, wherever you are. Let's say you're in a Republican-controlled state. You know, we had Republican governance here in Minnesota, which the Republican Party of Minnesota gave up trying to be Democrat over the last 20 years. Did you hear that? They've been working on this for 20 years. 20 years. Got to have long-range plans in politics. 20 years they've worked on this. And guess what this means? The first bill that was passed when the Democrat got complete control of Minnesota politics, the first bill, the first bill was automatic Voter registration upon receipt of a driver's license. It's not opt-in, opt-out. It's you have to opt-out. If you just get a driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. And the second bill they passed was driver's license for non-citizens. So guess what? That Republican lawmaker stood up there and said we're concerned about voter fraud. And the Democrat controls the absentee voter ballot boards 
and the election machinery in the in the population centers of Minneapolis and St. Paul. I'm not saying that there's going to be voter fraud, but I'm saying that how's anybody going to know? Because they have the these illegal residents of the state, and they're illegal. They're here. They are here illegally. Our border is open. There are hundreds of thousands of these people in the state of Minnesota, and they can vote unless somebody sorts out that they're not lawful voters. Well, the mechanism is not there to do that. And so now the law supports a certain number of votes getting through the system that are not lawful, not real votes. That's what's going on here. Does it make you mad? If I was a, a Democrat, which I'm not, because I believe in honesty and fairness, I'd say, wait a second, this is kind of a scam. Because what the Democrat is saying, yeah, we're going to have a scam because these people, we need to redress their oppression that they suffered in another country. We in Minnesota are responsible for what happened in Guatemala. So these Guatemalans are coming up here, and Nicaraguans and El Salvadorians and Mexicans, they're coming up here because their countries are screwed up, our borders open, and we're supposed to take care of these people. And that's part of the United Nations plan. That's worldwide immigration. That's part of social equity. And our children are being taught how important it is to redress colonialism through equity. And oh my gosh, the world's going to burn up. We're going to have a climate crisis unless we deindustrialize, which means everybody's poor, which is great because we're all going to have equity. This is such a con. I don't believe that I've reached my peak yet of being able to reveal this con. I'm practicing with you. Practice back with me. We got to spread this out. This is a con job aimed at what? Making the value of my citizenship worthless. I'm an American citizen. I am an American citizen. I've worked my entire life to contribute to this society, the United States of America. I pay taxes. I'm politically active. I've raised children. I do charitable works. I'm engaged in my society 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm a public servant after all. I'm a member of a political party. That makes me a public servant. And what they're telling me is that someone that came in from outside the country that's contributed zero to the country now gets the benefits of citizenship without contributing and they could vote illegally, which means that my political activity is nullified. And I'm supposed to accept this as true. And look at these people. They're shameless about it. And the reason they're shameless is they believe it. They actually believe it. But they are dumb. They don't really know what the scam is here, what the con is. The con is to get this, to get all of us living in cities, in urban areas, on universal basic income, on a digital currency, the imposition of tyranny in the name of climate crisis and equity. Give up my freedom in the name of redressing these two twin towers of global chaos, climate crisis and social equity. Give up my freedom. Give up my freedom? 
my ability to create my own life, to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, they're conning me. They're conning you, and we're going to have to spread out that we're figuring out it's a con and talk to these Democrats and ask them. Because you know what? A lot of this Democrat, they're not willing to give up their freedom. They're not willing to give up their money. You know, a lot of these people have money in the bank. When they figure out that the scam is to take their money away, oh, we have to rebrand our party. We have to make sure that the racists and the xenophobes and the homophobes and the anti-Semites are gone and down the block at the American Nazi Party so that we can welcome these Democrats into the Republican Party, which is the party of human freedom. Abraham Lincoln formed this party in the, 19, in, 19, in the 1850s before the Civil War to pursue the spiritual goal of ending slavery. Now, was there other issues? Of course there were. But the primary impetus for forming the Republican Party was to break off from the Whigs and the Know-Nothings, which were you know, anti-Semitic, anti-Catholic, anti-immigration parties, come around, form a new ideology about ending human bondage. Lincoln understood that bondage degrades both the enslaver and the enslaved. And he wanted to set the American experience free of that British business model. Get rid of that slavery. Of course, you go back and you look at the first 43 episodes and you'll see the British did a very good job of reinfecting our elites with this you know, slavery, drugs, and piracy business model. And that's what this political movement's about, about finally putting it in the dirt, burying that business model and making a politics about human well-being, about the well-being of all our citizens. And these people that are here, it's very unlikely we're going to round them up and deport them. We certainly don't want to kill them. So we're going to have to deal with the fact that the Biden administration has brought in millions and millions of people to permanently alter the political composition of this country. And we're going to have to work with these people and get them involved in the Republican governance of the country. They've made a little bit of an error with these people. These people are a lot of them are Catholics. Not all of them. A lot of them believe in God. When they realize who's running the show, that they're involved in, if we can provide opportunity for these people to get away from this universal basic income, get to them before they get lazy and get high on, oh, the third bill, marijuana is now legal in, in Minnesota. So, you you know, you can, when you, when you get your driver's license here, you automatically get registered to vote. This is Minnesota. Illegals get driver's license, which means they can get a shot at voting. And hey, they can go get high every day. Let's make them dumb and stupid and lazy. And I've said this before. Not everybody gets dumb and lazy when they smoke dope. Some people get very tuned in. I had a friend of mine. If he's watching this, he's going to know who he is. We used to fight a lot, hard, like with weapons. He used to like to get high before we fought. I watched him break three noses in the same night. Hey, you know what? He remembers because you know what? He functioned in the groove when he got stoned. Some people are like that. You know what some other people do? They lay down on the couch and they watch cartoons and they eat post-toasties. They get heavy and they get addicted. I mean, our government has made getting addicted. I said this on a previous podcast. You know, when the mafia did this stuff, at least we knew it was illegal, like gambling and prostitution and alcohol and drugs. 
we knew we were doing something that was, you know, kind of unseemly. But when the government gets in the business, hey, everybody's in on it now. So we're setting up a condition here in Minnesota where the state is going to devolve. And guess what the Republicans are doing? The rhino Republicans. They're leaving the state. They screwed up the governance of the state. They lost political party. Excuse me. They lost political power. And now a lot of them are moving out of the state and leaving and abandoning the people to depravity. Oh, I don't like these people. I don't like these people. I know one of these people. She's married to this guy that's dying. She was very involved in Republican politics in this state. And you know what she did when she didn't get her way? Because, of course, she was a pro-abortion uh, Republican, which meant she was a Democrat. When she realized that there was a pro-life movement in the Republican Party here in Minnesota, when there was mega Republicans, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump, she thinks he's just, a, you know, the worst. They moved to Florida where they can have no taxes because they're materialists. They were never involved in the Republican movement for spiritual ideas, and that's what we got to get across. Those of you that are watching me that are in the Republican Party or contemplating Republicanism, we're a spiritual movement about human well-being. All these people that are in it for the money, low taxes, low regulation, get over in the Democrat Party where you belong. We don't want you here. And so I have to end with my, my uh, I didn't get through my script today. Please excuse me. But I'm very relaxed and I'm just riffing. In the little bit of time that's left, I want to talk about the strategy and how the strategy pays benefits. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, verily let me hope there are millions of American citizens who for the first time are waking up to the fact that if they don't get involved in politics, they're going to get clipped. Some of them are very religious. They read it in the Bible. Some of them are reading the source materials online because, you know, these people are professors. They write everything down. It's not hard to figure out what these people have in mind. Like Harari sitting there and telling us, my culture is a myth and his is the truth. And, oh, my gosh, us populists, the movement of the people is wrong. Wrong. Ugh. Governance is about the people. That's what Republicanism is about. It was hijacked by Democrats that wanted low taxes and low regulation, so they worked the whole spectrum from the far left to the center of the Republican Party. They were all materialists. They forgot about the party of Lincoln, the party of well-being, the party of human freedom. That didn't matter to them. That did not matter to them. They're Darwinists. It's all about them, how they can pile up money in their bank account and pay less taxes and pay less and have less regulation so that a young man like Tanner gets nothing. And some old bastard like me lives in an $8 million mansion counting his money. That's not fair. Now, eight, you know, $8 million bucks is not a big deal. But there are people that have hundreds of billions of dollars piled up. We got young people that are in their 20s that can't fix their cars. This is wrong, and we're going to fix this because this is a new kind of slavery. It's called wage slavery. we got to fix this. That's what Republicans about, is, Republicanism is about. Tanner didn't know that. He's looking at me incredulously. He's going, you sound like a communist. No, I sound like a Republican. 
We don't believe in slavery, drugs, and piracy. We're Republicans. So what do we do? We get involved in the movement. We are a movement-orientated broadcast network, Free People Radio. It's not an accident we call us free people because that's who we're looking for, the people who are free, who are critically thinking, and want to work to maintain the space where you can continue to be free and critically think because the other side wants to enslave you and make sure you're dumb. So guess what? We got a political strategy. We're going to get you the information you need to send it out to all your friends. We have all these different things you can do. You can letter write. You can join the parties. You can study and pray. You can donate. You could be a candidate. We're going to go over and over the different strategies. But one thing you can do that's really meaningful is you can contend with people who you don't agree with and learn how to argue with them in such a way that they can't respond. Like Mr. We don't do that here. All he can say is, we agree to disagree. No, we don't. I don't agree to disagree. I agree that you should quit. And guess what? He did. On my political unit, which is in Minnesota, which was a committee, all of the globalist materialists that are in the party strictly for low taxes and low regulation, they all resigned off my committee. They had enough of Professor Penn. They had enough of me. They know I'm not going to get off of them. I'm smarter than they are, not because I'm intellectually smarter, but because I do my homework while they're at the golf course smoking cigars and drinking, you know, uh, rum and Cokes or whatever the hell they drink. They're dissipated, they're old, and they don't want to fight with people that are serious about maintaining human freedom. That's not their thing. They're going to go home and count their money. Boy, I don't like these people, and they know it. And guess what? They don't like me either. But I'm civil with them. They're American citizens. They're American citizens, and they come and tell me, this kind of people, that they, you know, they believe there's too much, you know, faith in the Republican Party. We don't need to have any God. I got one guy. He's not watching. I'm going to give you his first name, Eugene. Why do you pray before the meetings? Why do you pray? Why do you have to do that? And I talked to him very lovingly because I talked to people. And then he asked me, he goes, you know, how do you believe in God? Well, the first step would be you have to want to. You have to want to. Or Mrs. We don't need to protect children. I mean, these people are really, they're on the other side of the football. And that's okay. That's politics. There's all of these protestations. We must have unity. We have to have unity. We got to be together. We'll never beat the Democrat. You want to know something? If we beat the Democrat being a Democrat, we didn't win. And these people know I figured out their scam, so they resigned. Six of them on one weekend. They quit. They couldn't handle the action. They're watching this. Maybe they want to come back, but I'm going to block them. They're not coming back. They quit. They're out. That was their decision, and I honor their decision to give up. And I'm going to keep saying this. If you're an anti-Semite or a racist, like you don't want black people in the Republican Party, and there's a lot of you, or you don't want Jews in the Republican Party, and there's a lot of you, or you don't like homosexual people, you don't want homosexuals to be American citizens, and there's a lot of you, 
or you don't want to deal with these new immigrants because you hate immigrants. You people need to go to the American Nazi Party. The people that said we can't criticize Republicans even by inference. Get out of the party. You people are killing the American people. You're just too dumb to know it. And dumb is no excuse. You know, ignorance is, is, is no excuse. You know, if you have a legal problem, oh, I didn't know, officer. Too bad you're going to jail. We have to know what's going on in this country. We're $33 trillion of debt. We got three theaters of potential nuclear war. 85% of my fellow citizens are living paycheck to paycheck. Tanner, I know you're one of them, and we're going to try to make this company work so you don't have to be in that boat, right? Would you awesome. like that? I would love that. Okay, that's what we're working on. Did you hear that? That's a young 20-year-old saying, please, Professor Penn, make this business go so I can live a good life. He's got a daughter, after all. I'm going to start thinking about my responsibility to his daughter. I want her to have nice things, the things that my children had. What? Where did that sentiment go? When did it all become about me? I'll tell you when. When Darwin said it was survival of the fittest, and he overthrew the two rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your might and all your soul and treat your neighbor the, want, the way you want your neighbor to treat you. They overthrew that with survival of the fittest and they teach evolution and origin of the species in almost every single school worldwide. Worldwide. You got to get up on the guy next to you because there's a declining amount of natural resources and only so much of it so much there's not everybody's going to make it not everybody's going to make it it's all about me i have to make it that's the republican party that's what it became a darwinist party from the soaring rhetoric of abraham lincoln where 10 percent of this country laid down their lives either fighting to maintain slavery or fighting to end it that's sacred honor on both sides of the football. You know, President Trump said there's good people here from, there's all kinds of good people here. You know, they made him into a racist over that. No, I'm going to say, I'm no Confederate, and I certainly don't like racists. But if you're willing to die to defend your way of life, hey, you got some honor. These people ran away. No honor. They didn't stay in the ring with Professor Penn. They didn't have the guts for it. And I'm going to say this like this to all the people that are watching me in Minnesota. Be emboldened by this. These people will go away. And when we get them gone, when they go to the American Nazi Party or go caucus with the Democrats where they belong, because they belong in one of those two parties. You know, you could even say that the Democrat Party, the way they manipulate minorities and immigrants, let's just think about it. They now have in Minnesota a huge immigrant population that's illegal alien, that can vote. Now, we can sort it out if we have enough ballot judges and say, oh, you're not supposed to vote. You're not, but you know, you can't tell from their driver's license. It's going to take work when 5 million people vote in two weeks to figure out who's legal and who's not legal. That's a lot of work. And if you've got a board, let's say in downtown Minneapolis, that everybody on the ballot board is Democrat, you think they're really going to sort it out? Do you think they have the sacred honor to tell the truth? Well, I'm going to tell you, they do not. That's politics. We've got to take back every city, every state, every county, every ballot board, every school board, every city council. So let us take heart 
at how quickly these people run away when they're confronted by facts and truth that they can't deal with. They just give up. So if you're in Minnesota or South Dakota or Missouri or New York or California, you know what we need to do? We need to be educated and participate in seeking the truth, truth media. We need to support these patriot economies, these companies, these people that support the truth media. We need to get educated and provide convincing oratory and soaring rhetoric and beautiful composition that these people just give up. They just give up because they don't want to take the time and make the effort to defend their positions. And I'm going to tell you why. Their positions are indefensible. That's really what it comes down to. The reason they're running away is when they run into the new party and the new people that have thought this through and understand the history and understand the facts and the philosophy and what their failed ideology is going to bring to the American people, which is death. When they recognize that they can't defend themselves, they go home and count their money. They're still American citizens. They deserve respect, but their ideas suck. And our ideas, this movement, the new party, the new movement, we are the hope and the light for a new America. And on that note, I want to thank you for joining me. I did not expect to do this today. came out of nowhere. I thank God for giving me the energy to do it. We're going to go out with a string quartet because we need something beautiful as a contretemp to such intensity. This is the Juilliard String Quartet. This is a wonderful quartet, the Juilliard Quartet. I don't think we're going to get clipped because nobody watches it. Less than 3,000 views. This is the Juilliard School of Music in New York where people go to learn in the secret society of classical music. These are phenomenal musicians, artists of the highest order. I always love playing quartets because you're a soloist, but you got some other people there to hide behind. It's great if you're working your way up. I love this. Please go out with it. It's about 15 minutes. We're going to let it play out, and I look forward to seeing you soon again. Thank you very much for joining.
Thank you.